open up your Bibles, if you will. We're going to be in the New Testament quite a bit tonight. So you can open up to the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. We'll get there in just a few minutes. We continue tonight in our search through the Scriptures to understand something of heaven. We do so keeping this in mind. Jesus said, John 14, 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So I remind you from what we talked about Sunday that the peace of the promise is not in the place, it is in the person of Jesus Christ. See, the, the promise, the excitement, the wonder is not the place that he's going to prepare for us. That's just that he is doing it. But the, the excitement for me is that where I am, there you may be also. So it's the person of Jesus. And we spent some time on this Sunday to, to be clear about this, traversing the Older Testament to see what we might see of heaven, but understanding, first of all, remember this from Sunday, heaven is a created place. Heaven is not eternally existent. God is eternally existent. Jesus is forever. Heaven is created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we recognize heaven as that created place. We recognize that of the 396 Hebrew scripture references to heaven, shamayim is the Hebrew word you may recall, of those 396 mentions in the Older Testament, the vast majority indicate or talk about the first and second heavens. Do you remember this? From, in Jewish thinking, and it's very biblical, three heavens. The Bible will even refer to, as you'll see tonight, the third heaven. Three heavens. But, but it's not three heavens like levels or layers or some kind of a strange cultic thing. It's, it's the atmosphere, the blue sky that we see, first heaven. It's outer space and beyond, the, the, the stratosphere, and then on beyond that into the universe. Both of these things, physical, created, visible things, first heaven, second heaven, and the third heaven in Scripture is where God resides. But that third heaven is a created place. God is eternal, but he doesn't need the heavens in which to dwell but the wonder, the joy, the hope is not just for a home in heaven. The hope is, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, and so we shall always be with the Lord. With the Lord. Wherever he is, wherever he goes, whatever he does, that's where I want to be. And that's where the joy is. And that really is the basis of the entire promise. Now, few of the Older Testament verses talk about the third heaven. You don't hear much about Heaven as in where God resides, you hear probably the most specific, God looks down from heaven or God spoke from heaven. But there's not a whole lot in terms of description of the third heaven where God's throne is. There are fewer, not only mentions of the third heaven, but fewer visions of that third heaven. Not a whole lot to go on to where we can say this is what heaven's like, this is what heaven looks like. We saw in Exodus 17, Moses et al. looked up through that sapphire pavement. And that's the earliest scriptural reference we have to actually seeing into heaven and all we get is that pavement of sapphire and the heavenly throne. 
Isaiah then saw the Lord. Remember that, Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, the train of his robe filling that heavenly temple. And then we moved on and came to Ezekiel, the most stirring, you could almost say wild vision. It's, it's so mind-boggling. As Ezekiel tries to describe what he saw, cherubim to start with, and then chariots of the cherubim in which the spirits of the cherubim were as the chariots moved. And it's just read Ezekiel chapter one again. It's an amazing vision. We're actually seeing into heaven in that moment. And then finally, after the cherubim and the chariots, he sees one like a son of man sitting on the throne, the Christ. Amazing vision. But do you realize that the Older Testament has more descriptions of the promised coming kingdom than it does of heaven? The Lord tells his people more about the kingdom and not a lot about heaven. And that's our, our focus. That's where I'm trying to stay specific talking about heaven. Not, not so much the kingdom, not so much these other possible things, but heaven itself right now. And many questions remain. Will there be pearly gates? You know, will, there, will there be streets of gold? Will we look like we did the age that we died? Some of us think, I hope not. <laughs> Others are like, all right, you know? Will we look younger? Will we look older? What about babies? What about the unborn? Jesus said there's no marriage in heaven. But might married couples stay together? I know Cheryl wants to. <laughs> and what about widowers and, and widows? And what about those who remarry? And how does that all work? And is that even a, a thing, a possibility? Will we eat? Will we play? Will we go hiking? Will there be sports? Will we enjoy music? And what about, we gotta address this one, what about the animals? Our beloved pets, do all dogs go to heaven? And cats, what about the cats? I mean, Max, Snowball, Fido, Flaky, will they be there? And I hear this from time to time. I made the mistake years ago, back in the barn, I made the mistake of saying all dogs don't go to heaven, definitively, and the church split in half. All the dogs lovers left. No, I'm kidding, but, but I, I was like, well, I don't see that in scripture. Well, let me give you something tonight. For you animal lovers, I'm just gonna throw, I'll, I'll throw you a bone. <laughs> we'll let the tail wag the dog here for a minute. Colossians chapter one, verse 19 reads, listen, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. That is in Christ. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This is very interesting. The phrase, through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. Huh. The Greek phrase, all things, is tapanta. And it means all things that there's something in this reconciliation of all things. Now, Deb is already looking askance at me, like, come on, Rick. But, but perhaps, maybe, let me tell you something. C.H. Spurgeon, G. Campbell Morgan, 
And even St. Francis of Assisi, of course he loved all animals, believe that that verse means all created things will somehow be reconciled. And therefore, we will see these animals in heaven. Reggie may yet have a chance. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 20 is even more specific. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So I'm just going to put it out there that all things may yet include Fuzzface, yes. you know, and Rover. Maybe Rover will come running over. I don't know. I can't say for sure. I, I think it's an interesting thought. It's really not my purpose tonight. Actually, I have a bigger issue. What about my loved ones? Will my dog be there? Hey, forget about your dog for a minute. Will your friends, will your family, will those you care about, and do we care about them enough to speak truth? Because the reality is faith in Christ is an absolute for human salvation. Men and women, if you would be saved, it must be through Jesus. Fluffy is a different discussion. Now, R.T. Kendall said, we will know a lot more about heaven five minutes after we arrive than all these speculations made about it now. And it's absolutely true. And even heaven, as we talked about two weeks ago, hell is so informed by our culture and our society and our jokes and our assumptions. So is heaven. Heaven is too much in our brains about the things that we've heard and seen, the colloquial things, rather than the biblical things. And so that's why we're doing this tonight in the last couple of Sundays, not to speculate, but as we turn to the New Testament, and, and you can do that now if you haven't already, as we turn there, what we discover is another 275 references to heaven, and the focus is much more on the third heaven and on the throne of God than it was in the Older Testament, we get much more focus, much more interest, much more concern about the third heaven and where God is. And it was obviously and profoundly on the mind of Christ. See, Jesus said in John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Jesus taught often about heaven. But, but before we hear from Jesus, and I told you to go there, but I'm gonna give you one more thing. Well, no, I won't. I guess we can do this. Yeah, Matthew chapter 3. So Matthew chapter 3, and yet, okay, yeah, before we go to Jesus, let's go to the last of the Hebrew prophets. You know who the last of the Hebrew prophets was, right? John the Baptist. So he speaks in the Newer Testament, but he is truly the last of the Jewish prophets, and so he comes along, and he is the first one in the New Testament scriptures to mention heaven. But he mentions it this way. He calls it the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Repent, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is the first time not only that heaven's mentioned, but that it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven. 
In fact, in all the Bible, it's the first time it's called the kingdom of heaven. Right there, here comes crazy John. This wilderness prophet. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then, continuing from there, Jesus comes along. And he's going to say the same thing. And I keep getting ahead of myself here because I'm kind of excited to talk about this. It's called the kingdom of heaven, the Basileia ton uranon. Uranos, for those who remember, shamayim is the Hebrew word for heaven. Uranos is the Greek word. So throughout the Newer Testament, you're going to see uranos. By the way, it's where we get the name of the planet Uranus. Uranos, that's where it comes from. And so Uranos literally means, if you're jotting these things down, and by the way, I suggest that you do, it's, it's translated heaven in the scriptures, but it means that which is raised up. That which is above. Raised up above, and the closest we get to the kingdom of the raised up, the kingdom of above, the kingdom of heaven, the closest we get to that in the Older Testament is from the prophet Daniel. And I'll just read this to you. Daniel chapter three. You stay in Matthew chapter three because we'll be right back. Daniel chapter two, actually, verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. By the way, in the days of those kings, Daniel chapter two, verse 44, are the days of Antichrist. Okay, the context there is talking about those kings who are kings set up in the reign of Antichrist. In the days of those kings, Daniel says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Interesting, while people debate about voting rights, God is looking to set up an eternal kingdom. Our citizenship is there. He says this kingdom will endure forever. Over in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, the prophet says, I kept looking in the visions of the night, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, this is Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And John the Baptist comes along and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and that's what he's talking about. That eternal kingdom that Daniel prophesied, John the Baptist tapped into that, but my friends, Jesus then came along and owned it. As the one who was given that dominion in the vision of Daniel, Multiple times, Jesus will refer to this Daniel passage, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Every time he refers to himself as the son of man. And every time he says, coming with the clouds of heaven, he's referring back to Daniel's prophecy. He is the one who owns the dominion, who owns the kingdom, who is himself the king. Daniel 7, 27 says, then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Why didn't we hear more about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven in the Older Testament? Because the king wasn't here yet. But the king comes along. 
And in Matthew chapter four, go there now, Matthew chapter four, verse 12, it says, now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in the darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now note this, it's so important. I'm not even gonna get into this because it's kingdom more than it is talking about heaven, and our focus is heaven. But Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because of this verse, there is an entire theology that is out in the church today called kingdom now. Kingdom now theology. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus started the kingdom right then and there, and we are that kingdom. The church is the kingdom, and the church is going to prevail and conquer the world and hand it over to Jesus on a silver platter. Nope. It's not what the Bible teaches Kingdom now is not biblical. Yeah, but Rick, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the word is at hand is in gizo and it means near. Doesn't mean now, it means near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, how could Jesus say that? Because the king was there. Because the king is now present. So Jesus now takes up the mantle and he begins to refer to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Keep your minds on heaven. 32 times in the Gospel of Matthew, the phrase the kingdom of heaven is used. Well, of course it is. Matthew is the gospel of the king. Matthew's focus is the kingship of Jesus over Israel and ultimately the world and all dominion. So being the gospel of the king, he speaks of the kingdom of heaven 32 times and only in Matthew. The phrase kingdom of heaven, you're not gonna hear in anywhere else in the Newer Testament. But this focus on heaven as a kingdom, heaven as Jesus' dominion, is in Matthew. And yet, in all four gospels, Jesus declared the kingdom near but not yet. Underway but not yet begun. How does, how does that work? John 18, 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Turn to Matthew chapter five. Let's walk through some of this. Matthew chapter five, in verse three, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we know something about the attitude of those coming into the kingdom of heaven, poor in spirit. Down in verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Further down in verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. I'm not even going to talk about rewards in heaven tonight, but that's a thing. That is a thing. Jesus just said it. Your reward in heaven is great, from the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Down in verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is where? In heaven, currently, as Jesus is teaching this. Glorify your Father in heaven. That's where God resides. That's where he's placed his throne, heaven, for now, temporarily, down in verse 19. 
Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is being specific. He is talking about not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom. So keep that in mind. A little bit further on in verse 34. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So Jesus makes it clear. In this place called heaven, Shamayim, Uranos, God has his throne established. And as Jesus came in the first century and unto today, that's where God's throne is in created third heaven in the heavens. Now I go to the Sermon on the Mount because this is an absolute treasure trove of heavenly kingdom language. It's been called by some, and I like this, a constitution for citizens of the kingdom. Now we're not in the kingdom yet. The kingdom is not now. The kingdom is coming. But you can begin practicing your citizenship now. You can begin living as a citizen, though we are not in the kingdom and check out the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, because so, it's so rich with teaching about this is what kingdom citizens look like. This is what we'll do. This is how we'll behave. And over in Matthew chapter 6, go over there, verse 9. Matthew 6, 9. As his apostles want to know how to pray, Jesus says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, my friends, that's speaking of an earthly kingdom. So there's the kingdom of heaven, but now Jesus is praying that there will be an earthly kingdom that will be part of that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. We're citizens of that kingdom. And that kingdom, Jesus prayed that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter seven, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. It's not about just saying, Lord. It's about, are you in his will? Later, Jesus will say, do you know me? Now, in Matthew chapter 13, and I'm not gonna go through this tonight, Jesus gives seven kingdom of heaven parables. And you can go through those and think about them. They describe the beginning of the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And even things like tares, and birds and leaven, which all portray evil things in the parables, they grow up in that earthly precursor to the heavenly kingdom that comes at the consummation of the age, Jesus says. Now, if I've lost you, listen closely. The heavenly kingdom comes at the consummation of the age. Jesus says that twice in Matthew 13, at the consummation of the age. What age? what age? Now? The end of this age? No. 
at the consummation of the age. The only other kingdom of heaven phrase is uttered by Paul at the very end of his life. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So let me put this together for you. The kingdom of heaven is not here and now. It's not right now. It's not here. In fact, the kingdom of heaven, as the Bible describes it, comes after the earthly kingdom. The only caveat to that is that God's dominion is right now in the heavens. Because wherever God is, he has dominion, authority, rule above all the heavens and all the earth. So his kingdom is wherever he is. But the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus described it throughout Matthew, as it's called out in the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven is going to follow the kingdom on earth. And at the consummation of that age, then we will see the kingdom of heaven. Are you with me? Yes. Give me a nod. If you're not, give me a really big shake so I can explain. Okay. <laughs> some are, some are not. Just, just stay with me and, and, and I hope by the time we're done it'll make sense. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 says, his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, that is created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. He's gonna shake the heavens so that the things in the heavens which can be shaken will be removed so the things that will not be shaken will remain. What's that? The kingdom itself. The throne itself. God himself. Jesus himself. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and with awe. So here's the point. The current first heaven Second heaven and third heaven. So the atmosphere, the stratosphere, the universe, first and second heaven, and the heaven where God currently resides will be shaken. It will be shaken. Now hold that thought. I know I'm just kind of throwing stuff at you. Stay with me. In the New Testament, we start to get more download, more information, more understanding in the New Testament, there are others who peeked into heaven. Like Moses did, saw the sapphire pavement. Like Isaiah saw the Lord on the throne. Like Ezekiel saw that magnificent vision. There was Stephen. Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed intently into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing, standing, that is, at the right hand of God, and Stephen said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Not seated as we see in other places in Scripture that Jesus went back to heaven and was seated at the right hand of God in that place of authority. Stephen looks up and he says, I see him standing at the right hand of God. I love the picture because Stephen is about to be martyred. First martyr. He's about to be stoned to death. And prior to this, he sees Jesus standing up as if cheering him on, as if saying, Stephen, hang in there, you're almost home. So Stephen sees into heaven, but, but we don't get any description. We just know that he sees Jesus standing there, the right hand of the throne. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, Paul 
Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I don't know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. So there Paul uses that Jewish description, the third heaven, the heaven up where God resides, where his throne is. And Paul says, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Paul says that and I go, oh. Because I want you to tell me what you saw, Paul. I want to have a vision. I want to see heaven. You know what's wonderful? John was given a permit to speak about heaven. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Turn over to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And again, if you're still going, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me see if I can sum up while you turn to Revelation 4. Wherever God is, is a kingdom because he's the king. Right? Wherever God is, he has dominion. So right now, the kingdom of heaven would be where God is, where his throne is. That's the kingdom of heaven. But there are those in the church who try to say, well, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is now, the kingdom is the church. No, it's not, because the king's not here. Oh, he's here in that his spirit is with his people. But the Bible is explicit, revelation is explicit, that Jesus will return and establish his kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. And we will see the kingdom and we will serve with Jesus. In fact, Revelation 1, 5, and 20, all three tell us that we will rule and reign with him in the earthly kingdom for a thousand years. But that kingdom is, well, the kingdom's not temporary, but that stay of the kingdom is temporary. At the end of that age, something is going to happen that will change everything. Before we get there, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and I'm just, I, I kind of determined I just want to read some things to you. I might make some comments, you know me, but let's just read and hear what we hear about heaven, what John sees. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 says, after these things I looked. Hang on, after what things? After Revelation 2 and 3. I love that, that Revelation 4 comes after Revelation 2 and 3. It's it's so well ordered. What are you saying, Rick? Revelation 2 and 3 are the church age and very clearly speak of seven aspects of the church across the last 2,000 years. And the Lord says, after these things, or John writes, after these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. And then he repeats the phrase, after these things. He says it twice. In that first verse, why? Because Jesus had told John in Revelation 1:19, listen, here's what I want you to do. Write the things which you had seen. Write what you've seen. Well, he had just seen Jesus in all his glory. So he writes that down, Revelation chapter one. And then Jesus says, and write the things which are. So John did that, Revelation two and three, the church age, which John was on the front end of. The things which are right now, the church age. He wrote about that, Revelation two and three. And then Jesus says, and then I want you to write the things that will take place after these things. So John very clearly in Revelation 4 says, after these things, a door was opened in heaven and the voice said, come up here. And then he repeats it, after these things. After the church age, after this age that we're in, which is not the kingdom age, my friends. After this age, there is a catching up. 
as John is in Revelation 4, caught up into heaven, hearing the voice saying, come up here and listen to this. Immediately, verse 2, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. John's in heaven. How did he get there? Caught up. There's a picture here, gang, of the raptured church. A throne standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne, same one that Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 1. He who was sitting was like a jasper stone. That is a brilliant diamond-like stone. And a sardius, a blood-red stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. An emerald, so a, a green hue around the throne. Remember what we said on Sunday? Green. Green means go. Go to heaven. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments. Golden crowns were on their heads. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds of peals of thunder. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Wait a minute. I thought there was just a trinity. Now you're going to throw in seven spirits of God. You Bible students know this is very Hebrew. Seven spirits of God speaks of the sevenfold spirit of God. Isaiah chapter 11, and you can look that up on your own time. The sevenfold aspect or ministry of the spirit of God. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Well, Rick, that's six things. Yeah, but the spirit of the Lord. It says, Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will be on him, on Jesus. Spirit of the Lord, like a central shaft, if you will. The spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and strength, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You just see a lampstand there. The lampstand, which represents the Holy Spirit. And now John says, the seven spirits before the throne of God. What's the Holy Spirit? With that sevenfold ministry and aspect of the Spirit. Verse 6, and before the throne, something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third had the face like a man. Fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Oh, you know who these are. These are cherubim. But John says one creature had one face, one creature had another, one had another, and one had another. Ezekiel said each creature had all four faces. What's the deal? John's only seeing one side. If John were to move around to the side, he'd go, whoa, they all have the same. They all have different faces all the way around. It's the cherubim. And then he says, the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And something in this picture of heaven tells us where God is is perfect holiness. It's perfection. We have talked a lot about sin. We've heard in the scriptures a lot about sin and that God can't tolerate sin and God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And when you start to look into heaven and start to get a glimpse of the absolute holiness of God, it does make you stop and recognize, wow, I can't show up there in my jeans. G-E-N-E-S. I can't walk in there with my sin nature. I have to be dressed right. I have to have robes of righteousness. I can't just walk, go waltzing in there. Oh, I'm in heaven now. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. And it is only by the blood of Jesus that we have robes of righteousness by his grace. 
When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever ever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the Lord saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. And John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. I'm not going to go into that tonight because it takes me off topic. You can listen to that in the Revelation teaching we did if you'd like to. But skipping on down, we see then when he had taken the, the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Will there be music in heaven? You betcha. They sang a new song. Listen to the song. Hear the lyrics. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. The thing is in verse 10, the word they is actually we. What are you saying? As they sing this song of worship in this amazing heavenly scene, as John is caught up actually to the throne room to see this taking place, we recognize the people singing this song are people who have been made a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Who's that? That's the church. Revelation 4 and 5, we see the church in heaven in this glorious vision. This is a glimpse, again, I believe, of the raptured church before the tribulation. So Revelation 2 and 3, here's the church, the church age. All of a sudden, Revelation 4, after these things, John's caught up, and we have the church in heaven, Revelation 4 and 5. It's before Revelation 6 through 18. What happens in Revelation 6 through 18? The tribulation. The chronology of Revelation is so important to understand in the timing of these things that here we are in the church age right now. There is coming a time when a voice like a trumpet will sound and we will be caught up and we will be in heaven as we see John there in Revelation 4 and 5. And while we're there, tribulation is going to begin on the earth and it will run seven years. And at the end of the seven years, Jesus will come back with the church and establish his kingdom on earth. Follow this through a little bit more. We'll be caught up to the place prepared by Jesus. Note that the place prepared is not our eternal home. It's not? No. It's our temporary home. It's where we go to be with Jesus for our heavenly honeymoon for seven years. Temporary home. Well, how do you know that? I'll show you. But then after that, so we're caught up to the third heaven. We're with Jesus in the place he has prepared for us. Revelation chapter 7, there's suddenly a multitude in heaven who come out of the tribulation. That's people saved even in the tribulation. They will be saved by faith in Jesus. They will be martyred for their faith, but they will yet be saved if they declare faith in Jesus. Revelation chapter 8 declares silence in heaven for about half an hour. In Revelation 11, you hear this declaration of the kingdom. In fact, turn over there. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. 
which says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God, you know what they did, right? They fell down. It's what they did. Guys just falling down all the time in worship. They fall on their faces. They worship God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. They say the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name and the small and the great to destroy those who destroy the earth and the temple which is in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. And I'm just showing you all this to get glimpses of heaven. Don't worry about the theology of this right now. But we see this vision of heaven, another amazing vision of this worship going on in heaven. And then over in chapter 15, Revelation 15, another vision of heaven, verse 2, I saw something like a sea of glass now mixed with fire, fire indicating judgment. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of the lamb. Hey, that's a Jewish song. And they sang the song of the lamb. That's a church song. I don't know if I know that song, Rick. You will. Saying, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things, verse 5, I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. That's the real tabernacle, was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes, One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And then the wrath of God begins to happen. But the next time we see The current heaven, heaven as it is now, yet with the place prepared and with the church present there, the next time we see that, a marriage feast is underway, a great celebration, and the kingdom is about to come down, about to be established on the earth. Revelation chapter 19, turn there. Some of you are saying this is too much, and I'm saying I know, right? Revelation 19, verse 1, after these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, the salvation and the glory and the power belong to our God. I added the thus because the thus are there in the Greek, just so you know. The salvation, the glory, the power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. He's judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. He's avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Then a second time they said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures, what did they do? They fell down 
<laughs> and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen and Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Listen, the focus, the point of heaven is God. The focal point is the Almighty. What makes heaven great is he's there. It's not heaven itself. It's the presence of the Lord. So we see this fourfold hallelujah taking place. And then verse seven, oh, I love this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I always like to point this out. Fine linen, bright and clean will be what we wear. Why? Because it was given to us to wear. That is the righteous acts of the saints. They're only righteous acts because they've been given to us. Do you understand that? It's not because of my righteousness that I do anything righteous. It's because it's been given to me. I have been made righteous by the blood of the lamb. I bear the fruit of the spirit. It belongs to him if I serve, if I do anything righteous, if I do anything fruitful in this life for the Lord, for the kingdom, it's because of him at work in me. It's because of him at work in you. These things are given to us. And we often don't even realize we're doing it. These righteous acts. And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. I fell at his feet to worship him. He said, do, do not do that, this angel. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then verse 11, I saw heaven, I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse and he who sat on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And at that time, Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth. For a thousand years, and I can clarify that for you, Revelation 20, six times it tells us he establishes his kingdom for a thousand years on the earth. Jesus comes back. He's going to put evil down, and Satan will be bound, and paradise will be found. But watch this. And this is really what, that, that was all the intro. Revelation 21, verse 1. So even, even now, if you're still going, ah, oh, my head's spinning, that's okay, that's okay. Revelation 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Bummer for surfers, but stay with me on this. Wait a minute. A new heaven. A new heaven. Well, does he mean the first heaven, the second heaven, or the third heaven? Does he mean the atmosphere? Does he mean the stratosphere and outer space beyond that? Does he mean the heaven where God resides? Which one are we talking about, first, second, or third? All of it. There will be a new heaven. Have you ever thought, have you ever just kind of assumed that heaven was always there? That heaven was eternal? That it was just, you know, God had to have somewhere to live? Right? So therefore, heaven must have always been there. No. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Heaven is a created place. Well, where did God reside before that? He's God. You know, it was Solomon who said, you don't even need the heavens. You clearly don't need me to build you a house on earth. You're bigger than all of that. Exactly. But now we see in Revelation 21, verse 1, a new heaven. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 6 says, lift up your eyes to the sky and then look to the earth beneath for the heavens will vanish like smoke. Which heavens? The heavens. And the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation, God says, will be forever. My righteousness will not wane. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 35? Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, that tells us, and you can just look back if you're there in Revelation 21, verse 11 of Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence Earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And that, I believe, is the moment that Peter's talking about, that Isaiah's talking about, that the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. They will be gone. So let me make this as simple as possible. We are in the church age. Chronologically speaking, at the end of the church age, we're caught up. The church is caught up. Believers in Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive will, will join him in the clouds. We'll meet Jesus in the air, and so we will forever be with the Lord. But then a period of time takes place on the earth that is seven years long, the tribulation. At the end of that tribulation, as Revelation 19 tells us, we come back. Jesus comes back, riding on our white horse, followed by what the Bible describes as armies wearing fine linen, bright and clean. What army wears fine linen? An army that's made up of a bride, the bride of Christ, Fine linen, the righteous acts of the saints, now comes back with him to the earth. And for a thousand years, rule and reign with Jesus in his holy, perfect, righteous government here on the earth, a thousand years long, at the end of the thousand years, then a new heaven and a new earth. And my friends, that's what I'm looking forward to. People say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying God's heaven is destroyed? Yes. Remember again what Solomon said at the first temple inauguration. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. God's bigger than heaven. Remember what Jesus said, John 4, 24. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so there is a day coming when even heaven, which God currently fills and inhabits, will be replaced with a new heaven. Psalm 102:25. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same. Your years will not come to an end. Verse 20. 28 of Psalm 102, the children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. Isaiah 34, verse four, all the host of heaven will wear away and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts also will wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. 
And I'm really pushing this point to say, my friends, our faith is not in heaven. Our faith is in him who made the heavens and the earth. Not the place, but the person who prepares us a place. And the beautiful, marvelous, wonderful promise. Let me back up, because I've said this every time we've taught through Revelation. It's a fantastic book. I take it literally and chronologically. But what's amazing is you get to Revelation 19 and oh, the marriage feast of the Lamb. And I'm like, that's, that's what I want to, I want to be there. I am so looking forward to being caught up to be with Jesus and to be at that marriage feast and to enjoy that time with him in the place he's prepared for us. Can't wait for that. And then you go, oh, but wait, but wait, there's more. There's a thousand year kingdom. I'm 56 years old. I can't even fathom a hundred, much less a thousand years where Jesus establishes his kingdom. The Bible says, not the Jehovah's Witness, the Bible says that there will yet be a kingdom on the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus prayed. So I'm like, wow. So I get to be caught up. Can't wait for that. That'll be cool. And then I get to be at the wedding feast of the Lamb and on this holy heavenly honeymoon with Jesus. Wow, I love this. Wait, there's a kingdom for a thousand years? Yes. Oh, wow. It just doesn't get any better than that. Oh, no? And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Brothers and sisters, the church for too long has made heaven vague and has wondered, we're just going to float around up there? You've already now, through the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, seen a number of visions, fantastic, wonderful, of this throne room, of this worship that takes place. And if you think, worship all the time in heaven, won't that get boring? No, we'll know all the songs. We're going to sing continually. It's going to be nothing but joy. I mean, think about that moment on a Sunday or a Wednesday, that moment, moment in worship where you are just enraptured. This is the best. I just love this. Could you stay in that place for a long time? So we'll be there with him, thousand years in the kingdom. And, but hey, that's not enough. God gives us an even clearer picture as we come into the new heaven and the new earth. Verse two, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Watch this, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Why? Why? Why does New Jerusalem look like a bride? I thought the church was the bride. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. This is your residence. I believe this is the residency of the church, which is why John compares it to a bride. But, But read on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Remember that, the tabernacle of God. He will dwell among them, they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Any of you like to know that you won't have to cry anymore? Any of you like to know that in your deepest sorrow, it is Jesus who will wipe away the tears and they will no longer be a thing? Every tear. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Why, Lord? Because the first things have passed away. That's old school. This is new. And he who sits on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. He said, right, for these words are faithful and they're true. And that is the kingdom of heaven. 
So all this talk about the kingdom, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It is near. It's just about 1,007 years off, plus or minus, depending. The kingdom of heaven, the eternal dominion of, of the Father and the Son, that beautiful place. How can there not be tears in heaven, someone might say, when people I love won't be there? That's a tough question. That's why in this Heaven and Hell series we started with hell. Because we got to start with the reality that hell is for real. And hell is forever. And hell is not for you. It's not for anyone who accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior. We started there for the reality, the understanding. We have a mission here, a great commission to spread the gospel, to tell all of our loved ones. Yeah, but Rick, they're not listening. That doesn't matter at this point. You keep telling and you keep praying, and you let the Spirit work on them. I love to pray, God, send them a bunch of wacky Christians that they can't ignore. Surround them with, if they won't hear from me, surround them with people at the workplace or at the gym or anywhere else who just keep telling them about, um, about Jesus. Lord, just inundate them. And you keep praying. But don't give up just because, wow, I just, I can't imagine them not being in heaven. Then fight for them. Fight for them. Pray for them. But people say, well, yeah, but still, I, I, I just, I know that I know there are gonna be some people who will not accept Jesus. People I know right now, how can I not have tears in heaven when some of those people are gonna be lost? God is so good. Isaiah 65, 17, he says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. God is going to do something. I don't know if it's a holy amnesia. I'm not sure how it works. But he's going to do something to take away those thoughts, those fears, those worries, those sorrows, so that that's, that's the old order of things. And I've said this before, and hear me on this. This is the grace of God. You will not remember those who didn't Accept Jesus. But he will. He will. That's the grace of God. That he will protect you and me from the sorrow, but on into all eternity. God will know every name. He'll know. He'll be aware of that, of those who said no to him. But the Spirit, the Spirit gets even more specific. Move on. Look at verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Here we see it again. Coming down out of heaven from God. This is new Jerusalem. Having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. So it's luminescent. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates and at the gates were 12 angels and names were, were written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. God still has a plan he's working on for Israel, gang. They're part of this deal. And then it says there were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city, the city, New Jerusalem, is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its width, 
and he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its walls 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements, so that's good to know that they track with us. <laughs> the material of the wall was jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. I mean, we have not seen gold that is that pure. But listen to me, this is a cube. It's not the Borg, you Star Trek fans. But New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and John sees something. It is as high as it is long as it is wide. It is a cube, 1,500 miles cubed. So to give you a little perspective on that, he describes it. It has 12 levels, 600 stories, and the length of it, if you were just to measure one end to the other, the length of it would be the distance of Canada to Mexico or the Pacific Ocean to Duluth, Minnesota. I did the math, okay. 1,500 miles, but it's cubed, which means New Jerusalem, by these measurements, will have a mass of 3.375 billion square miles. Okay, that's no moon. It's a space station. <laughs> New Jerusalem comes down, it is massive. Here's what I want you to see. I didn't even say this in our Revelation study, so get this. It's really cool. Remember what God said back in, uh, let's see, verse 3 of chapter 21? Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. What's he talking about, the tabernacle of God? New Jerusalem. What? New Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God in the new heaven, new Jerusalem, new earth. That's the tabernacle. And what's really cool is this tabernacle that is 1,500 miles cubed. Do you know what the size was of the tabernacle on earth? It's 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. The tabernacle is a cube. That, that, that tent, 15 feet high, 15 feet in length, 15 feet wide. It's a picture. God gave an earthly tabernacle to portray the heavenly tabernacle which also now we will see as New Jerusalem, this amazing, massive tabernacle. New Jerusalem as a bride, zip code of the church, coming down out of heaven. This is the tabernacle of God, verse 19. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was of jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, and then chrysolite and beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. And if you look at these, they're 12 stones. And the suggestion has been made that they may parallel the 12 stones on the breastplate of the high priest. Wow, beautiful. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each one of the gates was a single pearl, so God is working in Gentiles. What? Well, pearls come from, what do pearls come from? Oysters. Oysters are unclean for Jewish people. So oysters are kind of a picture of the unclean Gentile, and yet, guess what? We have gates, pearly gates. Are there going to be pearly gates? There they are. And verse 22, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Here comes the tabernacle, the new Jerusalem, present 
the Lord God and the Lamb. What, what a mind-boggling, beautiful view of heaven, of heaven before us. F.F. Bruce says, I love this quote, John ransacks the resources of language and metaphor to describe the indescribable glory which the holy city reflects. But keep going. Verse 23, the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth, because there is an earth, remember, new earth, new heaven, new Jerusalem, new earth. So the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night. Its gates will never be closed. What does that mean? It means the gates are always open. It means the traffic will flow to and from constantly. It's available for people to come into. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Got to have your name in the book. How do I get my name in the book? Faith. Faith. You trust Jesus. You believe in him for your salvation. And your name is written in that book. And what's amazing here is in this picture, we, new heaven, new Jerusalem, new earth. New Jerusalem, by the way, is hovering in between based on this description. Where will we live? Well, I, I expect I'll have a lovely, posh apartment in New Jerusalem, <laughs> in that holy city. But where will we go? Well, I think we'll probably be able to go to earth to be in New Jerusalem, to go up to the heaven. I think we'll be able to move in between all three. Now, that's just me guessing, but this is the picture of our eternity. It's not some vague, cloudy, harp-singing, halo-wearing place. It's actual and real and described and beautiful. Then he showed me, verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 22, a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life. So this tree of life just grows on and on, both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, which means every month there's new fruit on the tree. Every month. Ooh, what, what, what is it this month? Yielding its fruit of every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, which is great because when we were kids and we fell off our bike, that's what we said. Get some leaves! Because that's what you'd use for band-aids. I don't, maybe you guys didn't. The leaves are for healing. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. Will we see God in heaven? Verse 4, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. They will not need they will not have need of the light of a lamp or of the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign, how long? Forever and ever. And that is heaven. And he is going to make all things new. And the promise that's laid out before us, man, you just can't get bored. There's not gonna be time for boredom. When the church is caught up, we're with Jesus. And then we come back with him in his perfect kingdom established for a thousand years and then after that old earth old earth. Why, why why does god get rid of heaven and earth you ever thought about that pollution it's pollution well heaven heaven polluted well satan has access there right now god's getting rid it's going to be all 
things new. All things beautiful. What you read in Revelation 21 and 22, it's mind-boggling. We can look forward to two things here, just two things to think about. We can look forward to a place prepared by Jesus for that heavenly honeymoon with his bride, the church. That's in heaven. But we can beyond that look forward to an awesome eternity with the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem forever and ever. And 2 Peter chapter 3.13 says, according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. We have so much to look forward to. This is, this is not some vague thing. God has given us enough to have vision of where we're going. Vision of what's ahead. Vision for something that's so much better than anything we have ever experienced here on this earth. In 2021, it has been 50 years. 50 years since John Lennon wrote his haunting song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. And then he says this line, and it's part of the whole thinking. Imagine all the people living for today. I don't have to imagine all the people living for today. All I got to do is look around. I don't want to live for today. Do you want to live? Do you want today? No. You want things the way they are right now? I, I don't either. See, that's the problem with the human condition and the reason we've gone through this exercise tonight, listen to me, it's living for today. One of the biggest problems in the church of this age, of this century, of this year, is living for today. Stop living for today. Look at where we're going. Look at what we're living for. I don't have to imagine even heaven because God has explained it to me. And there is a heaven C.S. Lewis in The Joyful Christian said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Enoch, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they didn't leave anything up to the imagination. They got to see Stephen, Paul, John. They wrote about what they had seen Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's near. Jesus, the king, said that. And his eternal kingdom did begin to, as it were, get underway in the hearts of men and women who believed in him, who became citizens of a kingdom, not yet, but coming. That kingdom underway in, in you and in me. A kingdom that is not yet here. It's not a kingdom now. And if we were caught up tonight, the kingdom of heaven as it will be would still be a 1,007 years off. But it's out there and it is coming. It's germinating in our hearts. If you receive the word implanted, it's germinating, it's growing. Our citizenry of the kingdom. And my friends, it is going to spring up. Visibly, beautifully, tangibly, it will spring up. The kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Until ultimately it transcends everything now and we come into the new heaven, 
new Jerusalem, new earth. And remember this, what Jesus said to Thomas and the rest. And you know the way I'm going. You know the way. How do we get to heaven? You know the way. You know the way. What's the way? It's Sunday school, isn't it? It is Jesus. I am the way. You know how to get where we're going. It's Jesus. So we know the way now. But what about right now? Let's stand together. I have one more verse to read to you. Let's stand up. What about right now? Because, boy, I can see heaven coming. I long for heaven coming. I want to be a part of that. But I am a citizen now. So what about right now? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? In accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. In the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. That's the feet of Jesus. And gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now listen, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them too, we all formerly, we lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, listen to this, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What? Paul says you have been raised up. Paul says, you are seated in heaven. Now look like heaven. This is not heaven. How am I seated in heaven? And I've explained this before as a proleptic phrase, which means it is so absolutely certain to happen, it's spoken as if it has happened. You're seated in heaven. But there's something else here that I think is just beautiful. Listen, you have been seated. That is, your reservation is held. You're seated in heaven. In the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, your place is reserved. Your position is held. And all we have to do is wait for it to come. You have a seat in heaven by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forever by your grace, by your mercy, all these awesome things. And, and again, it is, it is so much to take in the beauty and the splendor and the wonder and the description of all that we have seen and all the worship and the holiness and the righteousness. New Jerusalem, the, 
the tabernacle of God among people. The promise of what is out ahead of us. Father is awesome. And I want to pray for anyone tonight who's feeling a bit overwhelmed by it all. Lord, would you just remind us that the point of the whole thing is Jesus. That whether we fully comprehend or understand what's out ahead of us, what you have described, that the best thing about it is the Lamb is present. And we'll be with you forever. And you have planned out and mapped out and drawn up and prepared such a future. A future that literally blows this tiny, minuscule life away. And Lord, this brings me back to that place of recognition that I am here for one reason, and that is to know Jesus. That's why we live. Whether I meet him as a 10-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 90-year-old, that that's, that's the purpose of this tiny drop in the bucket of eternity that we call life, to know you. And by knowing you now, we will be with you forever. Wow, wow. So Jesus, right now, I pray first and foremost that everyone listening, everyone here tonight will know you and give their lives to you and trust that this life is not the thing. If I'm going to imagine anything, I'm going to imagine this life wasn't here and we were already at home. Father, we are here to know you. So help us know you. I pray that there won't be anyone walking out of here tonight who won't be able to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in your death and your resurrection. And I bow the knee to you tonight as my Lord and my Savior and my King. Right now, you have dominion and authority over me, Lord. Oh, may that be every heart, every attitude in this place. And Jesus, may we be so bold and confident in our future with you, in our seatedness in heaven, that we can't stop telling everybody about your great, great love. Lord, thank you. Thank you for entrusting so much to us. In Jesus' name, amen.